The scripture this morning is the same as last week. Matthew 24, verses 3 through 14. Please stand for the reading of God's word. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming at the end, in the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Dean. Irene, I'd like to know who our mystery pianist was today. Thank you, Garrett, her grandson. Um, we, this is the same scripture from last week, and it's the same sermon because I didn't have time to prepare. No, it's not. <laughs> Sometimes you're tempted, I don't know. I remember uh, hearing a story about uh, a church board that confronted a pastor because he'd preached the same message three weeks in a row. And he said, when you guys start practicing this one, I'll preach a new one. So, um, The title is, Are We There Yet? And... and um, you know, I'm not, there's, there's so much going on in our world, and those who are tuned into Scripture, and even some people who are not, because um, there are a lot of people out there that even though they may not be believers or church attenders, or they still have something in there about the world ending at some point. The, the world's going to come to an end at some point. And, and uh, so a lot of us, though, are... Especially, I think, in the Christian community are asking the question, are we there yet? Are we at that point? Um, and last week I said, well, I can't answer that question. There are a lot of people who have tried and who think they know when. Um, but we really don't. We just turn to the Scripture. Now, I will admit to you that as you read through the New Testament authors, especially in the epistles, you will see that, that those writers expected that Jesus' return would happen any day. So for 2,000 years, we've been thinking 
especially at various times on our planet when things got really bad. And this is not the first time that things have gotten really bad that Jesus would be back any time. I remember uh, when the... Uh, the war in Israel happened in, I think it was 1967. My dad was sure that Jesus would be back any day. I mean, this is it. Armageddon's right around the corner. I remember as a kid, it scared me half to pieces. You know, I wasn't, wasn't ready to hear that. But we, and, and so throughout history, there have been these writers, prognosticators that have said, oh, this is it. We're looking at the circumstances in our world. Jesus is going to be back any moment. And we're still saying that, aren't we? And we're looking at the events in our world right now. And uh, some of them are pretty dire. We're very concerned. Um, And we're still saying the same thing as the authors of the epistles said. So we uh, we got through the first four things that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 24 as signs of the end or that uh, are precursors to the end. Um, and uh, if you want to know what those are, you're going to have to go back online and look at last week's sermon because I'm not going to go over those again. Um, we're going to start at number five, false prophets. Jesus said, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Peter wrote, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So he is saying there have been false prophets in the past. There will be false teachers among you. It's still happening. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Well, I have seen that happen. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up, Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. They're out there right now. William Barclay says this, A false leader is a man who seeks to propagate his own version of the truth rather than the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. And a man who tries to attach other men to himself rather than Jesus Christ. The inevitable result is that a false teacher spreads division instead of building up unity. The test of any leader is likeness to Christ. Folks, there were false prophets before Jesus, during His day, since then, and there are still false prophets today. These people deliver sweet messages, the kind that tickle people's ears, as the Scripture says. Things we really like to hear. It makes us feel good. We want to believe these things. Like, God wants you to be rich. Or, there 
is no such thing as sin or hell. Or Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Or one that I was reading about recently, and um, I guess it's part of this whole, what some have described as progressive theology. A loving God would not require the bloody sacrifice of His Son. Okay? False prophets, they're out there. They're still spreading their messages. And then Jesus said in verse 12, there would be an increase of wickedness. An increase of wickedness. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Paul writes in 2 Timothy verses, excuse me, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving. This is a lengthy list, isn't it? Unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. An increase in wickedness. And in, in Isaiah 5.20, you're going to hear this passage more than once. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And boy, do we live in a time when evil is called good and good is called evil. We turn things completely upside down. The word wickedness here that Jesus uses is the Greek word anemia, which means transgression of the law, lawlessness or iniquity. And when, when we're talking about lawlessness here, we're not talking merely about um, lawlessness in regarding to man's law. We're talking about re, uh, lawlessness in regards to God's law because we know that merely keeping man's law is not enough. Right? There are a lot of things that man's law allows that God's law does not. And so when we speak of lawlessness, we're we're talking about people um, failing to adhere to God's law. And again, I just think back to um, Kathy Roberts' visit with us from Life Choices a few weeks ago. What happened to um, their facility here in our own town? Um, and we know of instances like that across our nation. And there are people out there who say that was justified. That was the right thing to do in response to the SCOTUS decision on Roe versus Wade. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. And just look back to 2020 and what happened in some of our major cities across the land. The violence and destruction and death that took place and really 
the very little that was done about it. And, and coming back to this whole issue of wickedness or lawlessness, iniquity, I, you know, I think about Roe versus Wade, how it deals with the abortion issue. But there's an issue behind the issue, isn't there? The, the following is uh, from an online publication called Bright. Uh, I get it um, uh, on the internet. It's, this was written by someone named Grace Emily Stark, and it's dealing with this whole abortion issue. And she says, does anybody actually remember where babies come from? She says, one of the most, one of the single most puzzling things about the left's histrionics surrounding the overturn of Roe is the refusal to acknowledge that sex can lead to pregnancy. It's the issue behind the issue that we never talk about. She said the language used to describe unexpected pregnancies is almost as if something, it's there's something that someone catches like a cold. But there is this issue behind the issue. And when we talk about lawlessness, wickedness, iniquity, the breaking of God's law, that's the issue behind the issue of abortion, isn't it? And it's one that is rarely talked about. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 31. A lot of these scripture passages aren't very uplifting, are they? But So Paul writes, So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself was worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lusts for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the results of that. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They were backstabbers, haters of God, Insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. And it said, because of all these things, because of the increase of wickedness, most people's love will grow cold. Certainly we're experiencing these different forms of lawlessness in the culture we live in. God's word is called antiquated and irrelevant and is in some cases actively being outlawed. 
Here are some of the reasons why, and, and I've just mentioned some in, in relation to God's Word, why we have some of the issues we have now. Because God's Word has been tossed aside as this irrelevant collection of nice sayings, but that are basically from the heart of man and really don't apply to our lives anymore. A recent Gallup poll says this, a record low 20% of Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God, down from 24% the last time the question was asked in 2017. And half of what it was at its high points in 1980 and 1984. We've lost a lot of ground. Meanwhile, a new high of 29% say the Bible is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. Kind of a take-or-leave thing. This marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible as not divinely inspired than as the literal word of God. The largest percentage, 49%, choose the middle alternative, inspired by God, but not to be taken literally. Many will grow tired of fighting apostasy and persecution. Stuart K. Weber in the Holman New Testament commentary summed it up this way, one of the consequences of the abandonment of God's principles is the hardening and deadening of people's love for one another and especially for God. The deadening of people's love for other people manifests itself in the devaluing of life. A greater focus on one's own pleasure and protection, and a decrease in the sensitivity to others' needs. People's hearts for others grow numb when they are battered with injustice and unrighteousness. A person's capacity to love others is damaged by misuse and abuse. The deadening of people's love for God is demonstrated through a loss of conscience. Right becomes wrong, wrong becomes right. We're back to Isaiah 5.20. And people lose the capacity to recognize these perversions. Society then sees an increase in senseless crimes such as shootings in schools and wonders how anyone could become so hardened and unfeeling as to lash out in these kinds of ways. The cause is society's abandonment of God's values. But, <laughs> with, this, with the, this discouraging prophecy and trend, there is this hopeful exhortation to believers that we can make it. It says in verse 13, But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. The times of trials ahead and indeed presently around the world today will weed out false Christians. Trials and tribulation and even the threat of martyrdom will reveal people's true colors. 
The true believer and the truly saved will endure. The Holy Spirit will be present to guide, to strengthen, to give boldness where necessary, and to give the words that need to be said in those moments. Jesus said in Matthew 10.22, You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. When is the end? Well, for some it will be death. For others, they may be present when Jesus physically returns. I can't answer that question for you. But there are biblical promises that go along with enduring to the end. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who before, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Too many P's in a row there. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, the last half of that verse. To him who overcomes, I will grant to, to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. But I bet that fruit will taste good. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Folks, the truth is an untried and untested faith is no faith at all. We, we will all experience testing of some sort in our Christian walk. In the meanwhile... We have something we need to do. We need to be found faithful and be doing the Lord's will, don't we? And then Jesus said, and this is a kind of a positive thing in that list. Verse 14, worldwide evangelism, that will be a sign of the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And again, Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So he's going to give everyone on the planet an opportunity to hear the truth of the gospel. This one is positive, and we have a part to play in it. We have a job to do. Jesus has given us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. And we need to, I think, look at the growth of the church worldwide. Um, we tend to be moving backwards in our country, but in many places the church of Jesus Christ is growing and flourishing. We're entering countries and sharing the gospel where we've never been before. Um, when we give to faith comes by hearing. 
And they have this partnership with a number of Bible translation organizations to have the Bible translated to every language on the, into every language on the planet by the year 2033. And we are using technology now to get in places where people can't go in person, like the radio and the internet. And then we have the tool like the Jesus film. If you've ever done any reading or seen the results of that, it's amazing how people respond to the Jesus film. To be able to see that and hear that spoken in their own language. Uh, sometimes people, entire audiences will come to receive Jesus as their Savior. So, yes, praise the Lord. So, Jesus said then, here are the signs of the end. You know, we just, we need to have our antennas up, don't we? And so I ask this question though, what kind of people should we be? What kind of people should we be? Well, Paul, Peter addresses that in Second Peter Chapter 3, verses 11 and verse 14. And he talks about the end and everything being destroyed by fire eventually. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Ought me to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him, Jesus Christ. Um, I, I, I was reading through my, uh, my year-long Bible, you know, the one that breaks it. Zephaniah this morning. I don't do, normally do a lot of reading in Zephaniah. But this is chapter 2, verse 3. And it says this, Seek the Lord... All you humble of the land, you who do what He commands, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And then, in answer to this question, what kind of people should we be? Here's something we should be doing. First Peter 3.15 But in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord. Always pre be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Give an answer. But do this with gentleness and respect. Years ago, when 20th Century Fox advertised in the New York papers to fill a vacancy, vacancy in its sales force, one applicant replied this way, <clears throat> I'm at present selling furniture at the address below. You may judge my ability as a salesman if you will stop to see me at any time pretending that you're interested in buying furniture. When you come in, you can identify me by my red hair. And I will have no way of identifying you such salesmanship as I exhibit 
exhibit during your visit, therefore, will be no more than my usual workday approach and not a special effort to impress a prospective employer. From among more than 1,500 applicants, this guy got the job. He said, this is the way I always do sales. I'm not going to put on a show for you. And at the end of that article, the the person who wrote this said this, Jesus wants us to be ready like that. We don't know when He's coming back. So we need to be prepared. Be prepared all the time. Martin Luther said this, I live as though Jesus died yesterday, rose again today, and we're coming back tomorrow. I think that's a pretty good way to live, don't you? Now we're seeing these signs. Folks, the important thing is being ready. Whether we go to meet Jesus through our own death or He comes back in our lifetime. Amen? I live as though Jesus died yesterday, rose again today, and we're coming again tomorrow. Father, help us to live that kind of life in such a way that we are prepared for your return. Or we're prepared to go meet you if death comes to us first. You know, we could, we could be discouraged by all these negative sounding things as we read these passages this morning about what the various behaviors and lawlessness and wickedness that we will see in the last days. And really, I think we would say we're seeing those things. But obviously there have been people in the past who thought they saw those things as well and thought Jesus might return in their lifetimes and here we are today. Again, Jesus, it's not so much about when you return as about us being ready when you do. So help us to be faithful. Help us to be a holy people. Obedient to your commands, obedient to your will for our lives, living in such a way that people will see Jesus in us. Oh, because there are so many who don't know Him and need to. And thank you, Father, for your promise to us that you are with us always. (laughs) No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how uncertain the future is, no matter what we face in our lives personally or in our community or as a nation, You are with us always. And may we, as the Scripture implores us, always be ready to share the reason for the hope that we have, to give an answer, and to do so with gentleness and respect. And Father, I ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.